Welcome everyone to the Build Your Team show. I am your host, Atiba, and I have with me today, Andy Crestodina from OrbitMedia.com. Now, they're in the website building industry, and that, that's what they do. But let me just be honest, and I hope Andy doesn't mind me saying this right off the gate, but I did a little bit of digging in them and found out a little bit about them, and I've seen a ton of website development companies never seen one like this never seen one like this so if you're looking for a great website i know i'm plugging him in the intro how about that right but if you're looking for a great website check out orbit media no joke you won't be disappointed in that and as always we're brought to you by client attraction pros helping thought leaders make video marketing fun easy and painless Andy, welcome, my friend. Oh, Tiba, thanks for having me. It's a great yeah. topic. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. You guys know we do like the pre-show conversation and that type of thing. And in the pre-show conversation, sometimes we come up with some interesting topics. And I'm going to just jump right into this one. I'm, I'm going to go right into the deep end. And I told you I was going to go right into the deep end on this one. Okay. <laughs> Sounds you, good. You told me that at some point in time, you hired an internet troll by mistake i'm assuming <laughs> but i mistake. gotta hear the story <laughs> okay so you're ready for it we're just gonna go straight there we're gonna go uh, straight this in. was this is one of the more interesting kind of hr situations i've been in in my life senior role newish team leadership for the team and must be you know, excellent communicator capable manager and subject matter expert someone i knew for a long time this is a legit player. We can do this. This is a good fit. Kind of a high comp type role on board, right? Hired. This person's here. Now, what happens next? Several weeks go by doing good work and the teams are figuring out how to, it's starting to gel. And then this is an SEO. So Atiba, you and I are both SEOs. Mm -hmm. And then SEOs are a category where people are sort of defensive about their knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's a topic where they're kind of prone for like little fights to break out on social media. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. Probably in defense of their own knowledge, this person engaged in a debate that got nasty very quickly. And so I get a call one day from my old friend, high school friend and college roommate, co-founder. He calls me and says, yeah, this is what I'm reading in these social posts online. So it's during the day, this person was posting from their desk. Our company name is on their accounts, like in their bio. And it was horrific. It was the worst possible behavior you could imagine. It was disgusting. It was embarrassing. Oh it God. was no, like indefensible. How could you possibly have typed those words with your own hands? And it went on. It was just this long thread of these people just throwing dirt at each other on social media for no reason. For no wow. reason at all. So it exposed immediately what you could tell was like an anger management issue, perhaps. It looked like a character issue. In what universe is this acceptable when you read right. through these things? Right. And if I started quoting it, you'd have to bleep them out. Like wow. it was beyond the pale. And my partner was like kind of freaked out because he's like, dude, this is like your friend, right? Someone you've known forever. This is someone you respect. I don't know what we should do. I'm like, the answer is obvious. You can't really keep the person. It's immediate termination. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clear cut. So he was relieved that I understood the gravity of this. 
And then the meeting actually got pretty easy, pretty quick, because even though we thought there might be like this big argument, this person was very understanding and like immediately understood like, yeah, I get it. That was way too much. So I'll kind of tag out here. <laughs> so the actual swinging of the ax on that last day was an easy thing because it was very well understood. So takeaway, it's not a perfect way to protect yourself, but we do not hire people without having someone on our team at least go through their social profiles. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say it, it's public. You should expect that as a job candidate that the potential employer will go look through your social profiles just to mm -hmm. see if there's anything weird, if the person's crazy, if the person's a bigot, if the person's a jerk, if the mm -hmm. person is aligned with some, their philosophy is not yours. We're a B Corp. We're like social justice tree huggers over here. So we have zero tolerance, even with right, clients. Right. Like there's a no a-hole policy here. Anyway. So that was what we learned from it. And we will never again hire someone without at least taking a close look at their profiles just to confirm that the person is a cultural fit for the team. Yeah. And that's such a great point that I think it goes both ways. So number one, I won't hire anyone. And tell me if you feel this way, but I won't hire anyone who I can tell hasn't gone through our social profiles in the first place. Like you didn't even do your homework. Good point. Valid. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And we do also have someone on staff and she calls herself the stalker. Every new person, she stalks them and figures out who they are before we bring them on board. So I'm completely with you. It's too risky not to. Hiring is expensive. It's a risk. It's time consuming. Mistakes will cost you a lot. That was a very expensive mistake. What happened that day? But so what can you do to mitigate the risk? You can look closely. And it's not time consuming. There's companies that'll do this for you. This is like the free quick version of the background test. I like that you've got the person's like ethical stalker, but why would you, you're going to get a lot of information in an interview, but that person knows they're being interviewed. Right. Just go through, just scan through and just see if this person looks like someone that your team would align with because social media is public social interaction. And there's going to be a lot of public social interaction once they're on board. I'm glad to hear Atiba that you've already discovered this little HR trick. And why wouldn't we all just take a quick look? It's not a privacy concern. There's no, nothing creepy about it. No, it's normal. No. It's a public Facebook, public Instagram, public LinkedIn page, public YouTube, yeah. or even TikTok, right? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Civility. And Let's look for evidence of civility, at least. Yes. And maturity, too. Let's not forget that yep. one. We lose that one, too. Not to say that there's like a purity test here for some political no. belief. We have a wide no. range, this diversity of political views in this company, and I know it, and I respect that. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Right. But maturity, yeah. for sure. Emotional intelligence. That's really what you're trying to hire for in every case, right, is high EQ. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really great point. Again, and, and I'm going to come back to that near the end, the high EQ. I do want to tell people and talk a little bit about why I said that I love what your company does and how you guys did build websites and some of the philosophy behind it. But getting back to the point where we were just now and talking about hiring for fit, right? And mm -hmm. so we're on that path of talking about trying to figure out, is this person we're looking for or looking at going to fit in here? Are there any other tests, if you will? standards, considerations that you make when you're trying to figure out if the person fits. I think one of the mistakes that we all have to avoid in that moment is expanding 
your idea of the personality types that might fit. My concern is not just that we'll hire someone that's not a fit, but that we are too discerning and that we are disqualifying mm. people who might be great. But let's say the role is open because there's an individual who's over capacity. Mm -hmm. ah, we need more. We need another John. We need mm -hmm. another Jane. Let's hire that. Let's clone this person. Not the right psychology, not the right approach. Right. Because then you're looking for someone who's exactly like someone that you have. You're not looking for a fit. You're looking for a clone. <laughs> That's right. not going to work. Right. So my team is like, well, this person's very talented, excellent communicator, right? High EQ, good experience, evidence of success in multiple roles. But they haven't done this exactly. Fine. That's fine. We're not looking for someone who's done exactly the job. That would be weird because nobody's quite like, I thought we're a differentiated business here. We don't have the exact same process as everyone else. So I want right. to hire someone that's a fit. To your point, it's a fit, but not a clone. I think that there's a lot of advice about how to hire someone who's, how to be discerning enough and to disqualify people who are not a fit. I'll make sure that we're considering diversity, the slate's diverse and that we're being inclusive and that we're not just trying to find someone who's like exactly like this perfect profile. Same with right. clients too, right? We disqualify clients who aren't a fit, but you have to really think broadly about that because there's all kinds of different people who work well together. So you want someone who's sincere, kind, clear communicator, good decision maker, someone who's has just good work ethic. Exactly how they do the job is not necessarily what you're trying to find in the candidate. They're going to go through onboarding. They're going to go through training. They're going to learn your way of doing things later. But expand the slate a little bit, and I think you'll find some real gems. Yeah, and that's great. I hope you guys hear this, and we've talked about this before on the channel. When you're expanding the slate, as Andy says there, notice he didn't expand the slate in terms of what their technical knowledge is or what they're good at or what their job history is. He expanded the slate in terms of their personality, mm -hmm. right? their character. That's mm -hmm. what you're looking for when we're talking about fit. That's what we're looking for. Right? And if you're just going out and saying, well, like Andy said earlier, if they did the job, they're hired. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. they're great. You could find someone that checks every box on your job. I was a recruiter in the 90s. Mm. And you know, you get a job order and then you're finding candidates. And the worst mm -hmm. recruiters are matching acronyms, right? Oh, this person's got ASP, this job has ASP, they're a fit. That's not a plan for success. But hiring managers still sometimes do that, right? It's like, here's our job order. It's got this number of years with these tools and these yeah. types of projects. That person checked those six boxes. But then when you get into the conversation, you're quickly like, oh, wait, wow, I'm not sure. You're like this person is different than the soft skills, the culture, the communication, the style, who this person, what they feel like on the call. The first call mm -hmm. might not be what you think. It's a mistake to simply look for someone that meets the hard qualifications. All those soft qualifications are really where this person is going to succeed or fail in the context of your culture, on the team, with the clients. Another way to say it is, yes, you want actual, but you're really looking for most of the actual, leaving room for a little bit of the potential. You're hiring people yeah. partly for their potential. Yeah. Potential is one of those things that... Let me just ask the question in this way then. How do you discern potential? And not just potential, but someone's ability to achieve their potential. Well, we're going to make a choice about hiring, and then we're going to do a hundred things on the side of management. 
let's not confuse the way in which we will foster them in this stage of their career through management with the moment of decision on an offer letter. Yeah. So to achieve the potential, I mean, you could hire the perfect candidate. Crappy onboarding process, bad training, lack of support, they're going to fail. (laughs) So you've wasted all your time. So just as important as the decision to hire this candidate and the negotiation and the offer, set out the benefits, is what you do next, right? What is the proper rate at which you include them on billable work? What is the structure? Where do they go for which questions? Are they assigned to someone who's going to work with them on their first deliverables? Bringing them in. So the potential is actually achieved through management, training, onboarding, and close collaboration. You need to, of course, qualify them based on their technical skills, based on their soft skills, culture fit, all those things. But so you're making a huge choice on the day that you make the offer. But what happens next for that person to succeed in that role is what everyone is really working together on. That's almost what a company is, right? It's not really much of an overstatement to say that's what a company is. It's combining these people in a way that they are all motivated and successful in executing on the project for the client, which requires everything, communication, culture, quality. And when it works well, these people will walk through walls for each other to get Mm -hmm. the outcome for the client. Their loyalty to each other will be extreme. Friday, I took a selfie from 16 of us were in one place in post-COVID. That's a big group. And you should see the love in these pictures, right? Just from like the place down the street where we went out after work. They care about each other. The support levels are extreme. Why? Because they're invested in the other members of their team, right? They're going to make sure each other succeed. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. My wife, back in the early 2000s, used to do premarital counseling. And she always used to say Mm -hmm. to couples, you're spending all of this time preparing for one day, but then you have the rest of your lives. And that's what you really need to be preparing for. And I'm hearing you tell that just now. And I'm thinking, yes, that's hiring. It's like, we spend all of this time trying to find that one candidate and then we find them and then we like let our hair down and then forget, no, 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 no. This is when the work actually starts. That's the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that most companies, and ours is one of them, I would include us, most companies would benefit from sharper focus on their onboarding process. Most companies would benefit by more checkups to confirm that people are communicating well and everyone's motivated in the week two, week four, week Mm -hmm. eight, Mm -hmm. week 12. Week 12, yeah. I mean, it's the talent crunch, especially, is it, Atiba, do you feel in this? Digital has a major shortage of skilled professionals. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. There's not even close to enough. I mean, uh, SEOs or analytics people or people who understand how video gets promoted, right? For your example, for what you do, not enough of us. When you find one and onboard them, you got a lot of love, right? Invest your job is to invest in that new relationship like you would for anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. Not only are they becoming harder to find, they're becoming more expensive and you're getting the less qualified ones becoming more expensive too. And you're just like, this used to go so much better before. Right. But yes, you've got to put that love in once you find that right person and train them because you want to keep them. You want the relationship to be good. Now at the same time, you don't want to keep them just for the sake of keeping them. 
but you want the good relationship, right? There's a number that no one ever looks at, but I'm very proud of. If you look up our company in LinkedIn and go to like the insights page and click on like people or something or team, the average tenure here is like six and a half years. Wow. I am so proud of that number because we have people who've been here for like 10 and 15. There's someone here who's been here for 17 years. Wow. If there's a metric that shows that your culture is healthy and that you're on the right track, of That's course, it. the number gets pushed down if you're growing fast. There's a lot of factors in that number, but average tenure, that's a number that none of our prospects ever look up, <laughs> but it has a lot to do with our success on clients and uh, haven't figured out a way to use that yet in our marketing. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever mentioned it, <laughs> but, but it's well, one that's that I'm the proud That's the start, right? First time I mentioned mm -hmm. it, that's the start. That is awesome. Now, you did mention something a little bit earlier, and I want to circle back to that. And you talked about the size of the company. So you've got people who have been there 17 years, average mm -hmm. six and a half years, and you guys have 50 people on staff now at, as mm -hmm. of last count. Mm -hmm. a, a good friend of mine, Jeff, on several weeks ago, and he talked about how he manages his team. Now, his team's a lot bigger, but he's in the virtual assistant market, and he's got 175. So it seems a little bit bigger. Right. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he sleeps. Uh, great guy though. But how do you manage a team of 50? I have the benefit of being a pretty weak manager myself. And that's helped me because once I recognize that weakness, I've found ways to make up for it by getting support and getting help. We got to the point where we were at, I think, just under two and a half million a year. And I was doing sort of all the sales and marketing myself and it was exhausting. This is like 15 years ago. I realized that we needed like a business person and my partner realized it too. And so we found Todd and Todd's a professional change management expert. Mm. He's an executive. He understands for the legal side, enough of the accounting side and finance. He restructured the company okay. so that there's CEO, directors and under those people, those people are the managers of these separate teams. There's accountability, there mm -hmm. is reporting on things like utilization and capacity. And we know tracking accounts receivable and the health of the business. We were just looking at cash. That's all we knew. We didn't know anything. I'm not a business guy. I'm a marketer. Right. I'm a teacher. I'm a content marketer. I love to teach and I publish. I, very effective in my role at marketing, but bad at the management side, not an executive. Weak business, basic business. Business is a separate skill. So that's how we do it. We have a CEO. The CEO has directors of each team. There's a plan B for all the roles. And those people are in charge of managing and motivating and tracking the rest of the teams. So you need software to do it. We use teamwork. You need accurate time tracking, which is a cultural thing, very difficult to get everyone to track their time. You need to report on the right things so that you know the health of the business. You've got to watch your pipeline. There's a million little things, but it is done through professional managers and all that fit within an org structure that is designed to be flexible. It's designed to scale. I just basically came to terms with my own weaknesses and filled them by delegation and taking off hats. You said about five different points in there that we could spend an hour on each. We're not going <laughs> <No>. today. <laughs> Great topics. This is good. The one that I want to really, really touch on is you recognized your own weaknesses. 
and you got help. And as business owners, we oftentimes want to put the S on our chest and say, mm -hmm. I'm Superman, I'm Wonder Woman, and I can do it all. And I've got to do it all because this is my business and I don't have any flaws. And I forget who it was. I just heard this yesterday. I heard someone say, starting in business and owning your own business is the best way to learn your flaws because business will mm. surface all of your flaws quickly. So how did you get to that place? I mean, then you said 15, 12, 15 years ago. I love that line. And I think sort of any partnership, I could say the same about marriage. <laughs> Anytime that you're having high stakes communication with other people, you're going to quickly learn like what your gaps are and how you really sound and all the little areas in which you're ineffective. And you're going to see them laid out black and white. Mm -hmm. I've kind of developed a theory that people that have lower pain thresholds are more effective and happier. Because the higher your pain threshold, you know, our culture is a little bit like, oh, I'm going to tough it out. You're like, I can do right. this and a bit of a martyr mentality. And I sort of had that. But when you finally do hit that tipping point where you can't sustain it, mm -hmm. I was doing sales all day and writing proposals all night. How many 60 hour weeks do I want to work in a row? I was the first one here and the last one gone every day wow. for years, just burning it down, just exhausted. So one way to do it is to just wait until you hit burnout. A better way to do it is to lower your pain threshold and change sooner. The less tolerance you have for crap, the more likely you are to adapt sooner. That's going to be good for your business. So take an honest stock of yourself and don't wait until you hit rock bottom. It was a bad time. It was a dark time for me, a tough time for the company to have gone through that like maxing out of trying to do too much. So to do all the sales and all the marketing and a bunch of management and all the client service work, millions of dollars in business, and I'm in a critical role on way too many things, just adapt sooner is my best tip. Be honest, define your role, do an org chart for what your company will look like in two or three years. Make sure that your role is not growing that whole time. Your role should be shrinking. You should be getting more focused. The yes. biggest winners are the teams of specialists. What do you want to specialize in? Do that. Don't do the other stuff. That's going to make an enormous difference. Those are the businesses that can scale. Yes, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. And it reminds me of something that Alex Hormozzi says in his book, $100 million Offers. I don't know if you've read that one. He says this because he's talking about that exact same point that we're talking about right now, where failure is imminent. And the thing about <laughs> it is if you're flying a plane and the engine goes out, at altitude, you know failure is imminent, right? And you may try to do a whole bunch of stuff all the way down until you crash. And it's the same thing in life and in business. But sometimes mm -hmm. we just ignore the fact that the engine went out, right? And Alex said in the book, it struck me. I was working out when I heard this months and months ago, and I go back and I listen to it all the time because it struck me. He says, if you're at that place where you say, I only need one more, failure is imminent. I only need one more employee. <laughs> I only need one more client. Mm -hmm. I only need one more week. Because it's never true. Mm -hmm. It's never, ever, ever true. No, I've told myself similar things. It's like, oh, this is a painful plateau. If we could just be a little bit bigger, then we'd have more of a backup for each of these separate roles. And uh, 
you sort of never stop seeing it that way. It's a vision question. What are we going to be? What is the size and shape of this organization, right? What fits within my goals, financial goals, lifestyle goals, time, family? You can get to the point where you're not asking for one more. Some of the happiest people I know are just kind of like, this is what I do. I love it. I do it well. This is what my team does. They love it. They do it well. And those are some of the better, some of the businesses that I admire look a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So, man, this is good. This is good. But I want to circle us all the way back around as we, we get close to our ending here. And there is a statement on your website. Okay. And it says mm-hmm. web design is a test of empathy. Web design. I want y'all to hear what this statement, go to it, orbitmedia.com. You'll see it. Web design is a test of empathy. And then he has a video explaining that. And I want you to, to take a minute and listen. Okay. Because my question for you now, as we circle back around to high EQ, when I read that statement, I realized your organization had to have high EQ and you must be building a culture of really high EQ when you're creating a website, which is an expression of someone else and you sit in the middle, right? So tell us a little bit about that and Orbit Media. Well, there's a true story in the life of every visitor to every web page. Start there. There are people on your website now. What brought them there? What are their information needs? What are their hopes, their fears? Really, why wouldn't someone fill out this contact form and hire you? Mm. If you don't know that, if you don't know why someone doesn't buy, if you don't know the biggest anxieties that they might have, right? It's like video. I'm just going to make it up. I don't want to be that exposed. I don't want my face on stuff. Mm Got to address that. Sounds expensive. I don't know. It's a big investment. I'm worried it's going to be like a blank check. When does it end? You got to address that. I want to be like these famous Instagrammers. (laughs) You got to address address that. that. (laughs) (laughs) Work with this client to figure out. Yeah. So in the end, you build a page. And that page is sort of emulating a conversation with you based on what that visitor needs, what that visitor's thinking, what questions do they ask. The best web pages emulate a sales conversation. So when I'm on your page, it feels like I'm talking to Atiba. It answers all my questions, addresses all my objections, sets realistic expectations, and it gets proof points, right? You got to build, you got to supply evidence, but that's what a good page does. It's not at all what I want to say, right? I can make web pages. It's very easy. It's very easy to just make a page that says what I want to say, but that's not what performs in digital. There's a true story in the life of your visitor. You are only going to succeed to the extent that you understand that story in their life and that you construct a visual hierarchy, that's design, and a series of messages, right? That's your positioning, Mm -hmm. that align with what they need in that moment. And when it works well, the visitor's like, oh, I got it. Spoke to me, made sense. Some of it was a bit unexpected, but a lot of it was what I came to see if it's a fit. And yeah, I think I'll have a quick conversation. Let's just reach out. That is where, and the conversion rate is the scorecard on this empathy test, but that's what web design really is and should be, right? No one goes to a website to hear what you want to say about yourself. They go to a website mostly to disqualify it as a possible option because they know there's so many options, but in the end, they're going to decide like, can this company, person, service provider, vendor, partner, can they help me specifically? 
People don't care that much about brands. People care a whole lot about their own needs. <laughs> so stay focused on them and you'll get far, far better results. That's fantastic. And that's exactly what web design is a test of empathy says. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who's been in this industry, I've had the pleasure. I wrote my first search engine in 1996. So I've been in this industry wow. a long time, a long time. I can tell you, I've seen a ton of web design companies. I've worked with a ton of web design companies. As a matter of fact, for over 10 years, all of our work came through web design companies and helping them. Mm -hmm. So I've cool. had yeah. tons of experience with them. And you're the first that I've ever seen that truly got that. A lot of well, people say it. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for the encouraging words. We have to keep getting it though, every time for every client. So yeah. you got to love this job or don't do it. You're in the wrong business. If you don't love the intersection between creative and technical, mm -hmm. art and science, if you don't love service and people, if you don't mm -hmm. love learning about a new audience and learning about a new offer, a new product to service, you're in the wrong business. You got to love yeah. people science and art to do this job well. Well, and clearly you found, I mean, six and a half years of longevity. You found mm -hmm. people who want to be here with you and do this with your clients. And so that, that is wonderful. And guys, if you've watched my episodes, I don't pitch anyone and <laughs> I'm pitching Andy. And listen, we just, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. True talk. <laughs> we just met, but in my experience of going through and seeing, I understand where this company is coming from. So if you are in need of a website, talk to Andy. You're too kind, Rati, but thank you for that. You're welcome, my friend. So tell everybody, what's the best way to reach out to you and Orbit Media? Well, you and I met on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn's yeah. a great way. I have it set up right now where there's like a follow button, but if you go to more, you can find the connect button. Don't yeah. hesitate. Just click the connect button. I would happy to be, help anybody however I can conversation on any topic. And then orbitmedia.com is where I publish an article once every two weeks. That's my frequency. It's just once every two weeks. So you can subscribe there. And the book, I just, uh, sixth edition, oh. I never even mentioned it. The book just came out on Friday. I wrote Sweet. this book six times. It's the illustrated handbook to content marketing. It's like filled with everything I know between two covers. It's on Amazon pre-order or maybe available now. That's awesome. Awesome. Give me the name of the book one more time. Yeah. Content chemistry. Content chemistry. Go to Amazon and find it. Andy, thank you so much for being here, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And we got to do it again. Pleasure was mine. Because we did miss Sounds some time. Anytime. Yeah. All right, everybody. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. I know. That's all for us for today. But go to Amazon, get the book. If you need a website, find Andy on LinkedIn or orbitmedia.com, read some of his great articles. Great guy for you to connect with. Bye everybody.